0: Hello and welcome to Podcastle in the Sky. In this episode, we will be looking at two sets of ghost story anthologies. On the one hand, a book called Tales of the Dead, translated by Sarah Elizabeth Utterson, based on an earlier French book called Phantasmagoriana. Also, we have an anime called Ayakashi Samurai Horror Tales, which is a set of three different stories, each told out over a couple of episodes by different creative teams. So, two combinations of horror stories, which are also traditional, because in the case of the translated work, it is allegedly based on older German stories, and in the case of the anime, it is based on some traditional Japanese tales. We'll see what's similar, what's different, and some miscellany as we proceed. I'm William.
1: I'm Amber.
2: I'm Jesse.
3: I'm Lily, and I'm Tom.
2: Okay, uh, you know what? I would actually like to ask everyone something about these properties because, oh, please, uh, these are horror stories, right? But did you find any of them scary? Because I did not.
1: Mm, I don't, wouldn't say scary. Like I, I don't, I, I don't think they what? push hard
3: on atmosphere. They just push hard on the idea of ghosts intruding on people's lives.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if maybe it's just a kind of conventions of what is horrifying today, but to me, like, <laughs> the horror of somebody coming back from the dead for revenge and or a family member from the past unleashing a world of hurt on family members who had wronged them or are the young of the wrong- of the people who wronged. Just don't... It, j- it just doesn't scare me all that much, you know? It, it, oh. To me, it's more like, yeah, that seems appropriate. I yeah, mean- I mean, most <laughs> of these
4: older stories oh. are less... Well, they're more morality plays than... Yeah. A- Horror stories. I I don't don't
3: necessarily agree with that, Amber. What I would say is, like, comparing this to, say, something like, uh, Turn of the Screw, which is relatively somewhat close in terms of, like, place and time of release and all these things. You know, closer than other things. Uh, what I would say is just, like, like, it's just not the tone of these and style of these stories is really not horror. It's, like, Turn of the Screw uh, maintains an active atmosphere of horror. Piss from the Dead does not. It is... Comer.
4: Well, I sort of uh, wonder if most of our modern that horror that happens, conventions, happens, what we that consider scary, are more derived from the Gothic tradition and sort of the very kind of stark, emotionalized um, view of what's scary. The sort of Victorian aspect of scary—it's more macabre. Whereas, yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said, a lot of these older stories, I think, are more about kind of social conventions and the way they get twisted up and people not and these, following them, coming back to haunt them and things like that. So it's more... These also
3: directly predated and yeah, influenced those Victorian stories as well. We're, Sorry we're, yeah.
0: yeah, and also I would say turn of the screw. I mean, it's interesting you brought it up. It's, it's sometimes argued as kind of like a, a second generation within 19th century horror. You can mm-hmm. kind of post after that. Mm-hmm. So I think if, if you're looking at 19th century stuff to compare it to, I really point earlier, like uh, The Castle of Otranto, um, the Anne Radcliffe stories, you know, like The Italian, The Mysteries of Udolpho, The Monk by Matthew Lewis. Uh, I don't know if, if any of these, admittedly, are ones people have read, but they'd be a little closer in time. Frankenstein, right. that would be one, okay,
1: Well, you'd be familiar mm-hmm. with. I, I just wanted to mention that one thing that's really huge with uh, horror nowadays is tension you know not just tension but the unknown in these stories while say for instance in the portrait story in tales of the dead we don't necessarily know who is causing the dread or whatever we don't get any of the uh i don't know how to explain it like just the on the edge of the seat don't go in the room don't go in the room kind of stuff you know what i mean and with ayakashi we know throughout most of the tales, except for I guess the final one, what the horror is, you know it's just uh more along the lines of like watching the horror commit horrible acts, you know that's the horror, not necessarily trying to figure out the why behind it. you know what I mean,
2: uh you know that final story in the anime <laughs> i I actually find it very scary, and actually it was the story that I liked the least, mostly because the main character, the protagonist, was this hyper-competent know-it-all. I could never actually buy that he was in trouble. He always knew everything, and he always pulled out the one trick that would defeat the bad guy or whatever.
0: The uh, one story of all the ones we're discussing here that kind of spawned its own franchise, it was sufficiently popular enough to have an entire series called Mononoke, not to be confused with the movie Princess Mononoke, because these kind of competent people who weave through the spirit world obviously have their place in terms of entertainment. The character's often been compared to Ginko, yeah, protagonist yeah. of Mushishi, and he has a similar kind of grasp and competency on the world he's entering.
4: Just to well, clarify, yeah, basically really the, the... the story of the third third story uh, is and Peddler, Stumbles upon a wedding, the bride suddenly dies bad omens etc demon monster cat starts murdering everyone and i need to figure out basically what caused the demon murder cat to appear and the only way and our our traveling peddler guy has this magical sword that'll kill kill the demon cat if it finds out the truth about what caused the uh, tragedy to occur to begin with and yeah throughout the story like uh, jesse was saying he's you know, he's constantly throwing out magical spells to ward off death, and he's sort of he's sort of ensconced from the story in some way, even though he's the protagonist. Like, yes, exactly. He's kinda, like
2: he's not part of the story. He's like more like an observer of what's actually happening to the people who are actually being affected, who are the family.
4: Yeah, it's slightly. I guess that's why he's almost sort of hyper competent, is because he's not. Yeah, he's not really that much of a character. Everyone around him is. A character but they just need some basically he's, instigating element to force a, everyone to
1: okay he's, more like he's basically the columbo you know he comes mm. into a scene and he uh, exactly yeah we're we're watching the or you know like we're watching the baddies be sussed out by the detective. You know his story is completely unimportant. What's important is that this family did this wrong to a young woman many years ago, you know, and we're trying to discover along with him what the truth of the badness is which uh was anybody else really pissed off that the uh demon didn't get the the one guy who really committed the sin <laughs> like that was that 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 you know yeah, my like, revenge actually look at uh, these
2: horror stories. Unfed. A lot of them. Like, don't they deserve to be punished? Like, yeah. Actually, I remember like um this one bloodline. Blood was going awful. Uh What was it? This one, like Iraq war veteran, is like being hunted down by like a jinn, like an Arab, you know, fire demon, and they present it so awful. But the reason he's being hunted <laughs> down is because his unit massacred an entire village.
1: Oh yes. Right. But then they
2: were treating it as like he was the victim. It's like, dude, they killed like these innocent villagers. Didn't they deserve to be hunted yeah, down by a that. demon?
0: One, one thing, like with some horror stories, is that there's a morality play going on, but it's not mm-hmm. always presented as a morality play that we should agree with. And while in the case in The True Blood, it may be a case where it's presented as, you shouldn't agree with this. And you might think, well, hang on, maybe I should. In Tales of the, of the Dead, we have this story of this generational curse. And as since we as a society, and even in you know the 18th century, people didn't necessarily believe that you should be doomed for the actions of your ancestors from well, yeah. the early Middle Ages. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. I right, can like right. definitely feel that while mm-hmm. there's a moral, moral logic to it, it's not a moral logic we're comfortable to. And I think a well, lot right. of horror is about exploring these kinds of lines, this kind of intractable morality, which we may not really ascribe to, and then just well, casting it in a horror frame.
1: In both Tales of the Dead, and uh, many of the stories, and in uh, Ayakashi, one of the biggest things was the vengeance is somewhat met. It does the haunter, you know, the ghost or whatever, have the right to continue haunting? At that point, mm-hmm. uh-huh. it refuses to give up. Like, in the first Ayakashi tale, for instance, it, does she have the uh, the, the whole premise is kind of a framed story of the writer of the, uh, Kabuki play talking about how the ghost of, uh, Oya, is that her name? Um, continues yeah, to so. possibly, yeah, continues yeah. to possibly haunt to this day any production of the play. It's, it's very Macbeth in Japanese culture. You know, you, you have to honor her grave you have or else perhaps if you create a movie or if you put on a play she will come and cause disaster so does she have the right to continue her vengeance or should she let go and go to nirvana or to whatever's next and similarly in say like again the haunted portrait which i probably will bring up the most because it was the longest tale it was yeah does this young woman who was wronged hundreds of years ago, get to continue to enact vengeance on anyone who walks under her portrait, for instance, just because she got fucked over by the family members years ago. Should she not at this point let go and go to heaven where she probably is supposed to reside? You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. so maybe the horror is less what happens to people, but the fact that this being who is so angry just won't let go and thus causes disaster for the people around them.
2: Well, you know, I like the the first story in the anime. I actually liked how unexpectedly metafictional it got because it was Mm -hmm. very clear about the story, inside the story, being a story. It's a play written by this one guy. And the thing he wrote about almost probably never actually happened and the people in there probably never existed. And they make it very clear, but like this the spirit of the story becomes its own reality, which is actually pretty um unexpectedly manifictional, I thought, or some kind of, I don't know, was it a primetime anime? I'm not really sure.
0: I want to say it was one of the early Noitanema shows. I'm going to check that right now. But, uh, yeah, it was one of the very first Noitanema shows, you know, first couple of years. I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, but as viewers may be aware, it was a block of television carved out late at night to air more adult serious anime aimed at an adult audience and uh, many classic series of the last decade have been from that block
1: uh can i just discuss real quick the anthology format of both i thought was pretty cool like obviously like in novels it's pretty common to have a bunch of writers come together with a common theme and write uh, and create a short story book you know so you get a, a different form and style for each story although i do admit with tales of the dead it's a little bit lost because it is a translation and that always is you know when you get a translation you're always going to have more of the translator's voice through each story so it's hard to tell the difference in tone for instance and style but In the anime, it was pretty fantastic how varied the animation styles were. I I really loved, in particular, the uh, first and the last. The second was pretty conventional, but the last in particular clearly was pulling from this Edo period artwork. And the first was, it was more of just like really uh, stark. I, I really enjoyed the style of both. And also, again, the tone, the tone of both. Uh, of all three were significantly different and dependent on their directors and their, uh, artists. Um, e- even to the, like what sounds were used for, I don't know what you call it. Uh, 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 action sequences and stuff like that. You know, like it, it, it was really neat to just see three classical tales, you know, done in a completely different way. And I actually looked up the basis of all three tales, uh, just to see how close they came to, uh, the original, And, uh, I think the third might actually be sort of an original work based on just demon tales in general. Yeah. Um,
2: The story, it was too much, too much like traditional anime supernatural stuff. So I can kind of see that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the first was actually based on, again, like a kabuki theater, um, play that was again based on old legends. This legend of Oya. Oiwa, oh, sorry. Uh, she, she may or may not have existed, but there is a grave out there that people do go to and offer their respect again if they plan on putting on this story. And the second one, it, it just follows along with the a big tradition of demon slash goddess slash whatever uh, spirit of some sort falling in love with a human, which is a pretty classical Japanese idea. And then having to either give up part of themselves or be betrayed accidentally by the human into revealing their f- true form, which often causes death. And um so... uh A common thought, side
3: effect includes
1: death. Yes, yes, yes. Falling in love in- with humans could include <laughs> feelings of melancholy. Nausea. <laughs> Nausea. Well, you know, um, really-
2: in terms of story, the one I liked the most was actually the second anime... Story arc, the one where the guy falls in love with the goddess, mostly because the first. Well, I already said why I didn't much like the third one, but the first one it was um it was clearly um using a like a narrative style that um that doesn't follow like three act structure or whatever, and it was kind of weird to me that way because it mm. it, it kind of felt like based oddly or something, and also besides that, it's like some of the cultural stuff like uh. Uh, I'm pretty sure there was like some kind of something about the relationships between the characters that's relating to their like samurai hierarchy or something, which I was not understanding. And there was also a lot of stuff that just appeared out of nowhere to me. I was like watching it and it was like, what the hell? The guy's mom is in there? Where did she come from? And it, it was like, like, uh, is this like because they had to adapt it from the play and they had to stuff it all in or something? Cause I don't know, but, um, well,
1: it's a, it's a five act play, which is kind of, that might also be like that. Maybe they were just compressing for time. And also the story in the anime goes quite a bit differently in some places than the play in the sense of, uh, where people were being placed or, for instance, uh, I believe in the play. The girl who mar- who was feigning marriage to her half-brother, she knew of the half-brotherhood, and I don't think she ever actually consummated the relationship, as they do in the anime. I think that it's more of just she gets herself killed for having even contemplated it.
2: <laughs> oh, well, uh, you know what? On that note, I'm not sure if you all noticed this, but all of the stories in both anth- anthologies... Involve either love tragedies or some kind of horrific wrongdoings between uh, men and women. Mm -hmm. Um, It's more obvious.
1: Family dynasty, too. That was huge. Yeah, Yeah. it's more
2: obvious in in the short stories because every single one of them, there's a marriage involved in some way. Like Mm -hmm. someone dies on their And inheritance,
1: too. Yeah. Well, actually,
2: that, that is actually one of the big things in 19th century literature. Inheritance and family relationships there's like always these stupid well to us it sounds stupid these twists about the long lost brother or something like that Mm -hmm. which which was more impactful to like victorian audiences because you know their families are breaking down their traditional large households were being trimmed down Mm -hmm. to like these nuclear families for the industrial revolution so i can see why they were so anxious about families and so on but the end result is it sounds kind of Hokey and weird to us today.
0: I think it's also, like, to a certain extent, kind of uh, rooting it in the past, what would be for the readers the past. Like, one of the great interests of Victorian Gothic is Catholic Europe, which they like portraying as more superstitious and irrational than they are. And Gothic has this unusual tension where either they're superstitious and irrational, and that's idiotic of them or they're superstitious and irrational, and they're also completely correct. Like one yeah. of the first popular Gothic books, Castle of Otranto, and the more enlightened characters come up with a scientific explanation for a ghost sighting. It's very clear in the context of the story that, no, that's actually a ghost. But it's also, on the one hand, validating uh, Victorian Protestant prejudices, while at the same time poking fun at it a little. And there's that kind of element of remove here as well, because this is a translation of, of a French work which reputes to be of a German work. Mm -hmm. I point this out because the very first gothic book, Castle of Otranto, claimed to be a translation of an Italian work. But the original Italian work and the translator were fictional. That was complete nonsense. It was entirely created by a guy who published it under the pseudonym of the translator, Horace Walpole, A pseudonym because he's actually quite a well-known guy at the time. He's in government and all that, or his family was. So um, there's levels of remove. And this story mm. in particular, like the first one is like rooted in the goddamn Emperor Otto, the Holy Roman Empire. It's oh, going yeah, all yeah. the way back in these <laughs> yeah. times. You
1: know? Yeah, well, it's, God, it took forever to get there too.
2: Yeah, um, yeah not, I know. It was kind of meandering. Like, first you think it's about this one thing and then this mm-hmm. other thing and then, oh, so, and then finally, oh, okay, now we're finding out what the actual horror story was.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. actually, I would, I would sort of relate the, uh, What's the name of the first story so that I can sound like I know what the fuck I'm talking about? Um, well,
2: it's, the, it's the one where the... um
1: The Family Portraits. There we go. Okay, okay we so go. The Family part Portraits, which is the first story in the translation. There's two um, portraits, actually. Oh, yeah. It, I actually got a big feel for that, the the first story in Ayakashi, which is uh, just a second, I'm going to look it up, uh, Yatsua uh, Kaiden. And you have a similar, like, where's the story going? Okay, these people are dead. Okay, wait, 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 no. So it's going to be like, they're going to get vengeance only, not, oh, wait, 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 no. Now the wife is dead, and this girl is dead, and, you know, and and then it all combines together, and you find out you yeah. you 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 get the uh, character seeking vengeance on the true killer, Aww. you know, at the mm. end.
4: A lot of these older stories seem to put a lot of primacy in some ways in the the supernatural elements. A lot of the times are sort of end notes to kind of grounded dramas in the first half. Less so in the story third of the anime. Mm. But, because I mean, the one... Japanese horror story that I've read previously, which was a period translation. You know, the entire first half of it is this sort of social drama where basically uh, there's peasants and they're suffering during a particularly bad harvest and their lord is this sort of asshole who keeps ignoring their very mild protests to get aid. So eventually one of them runs out in front of the wagon of the shogun and hands him a uh, petition, which is obviously a huge even though he doesn't actually do he's you know, he's just handing the guy a petition within the social system of that time period, huge faux pas, and so his Lord orders him to be executed, which he expected, but the Lord is such a dick that he also executes his son and his wife, and he crucifies the two older ones, and then his wife vows vengeance on the Lord. And that entire first half of the story, and it's, you know, probably like 30-25 pages or something, is just this really grounded could easily be a historical account story. And then the second half shifts into this really crazy ghost revenge story, similar to Oyewash, where she's, you know, murdering mistresses and all this fun stuff. But so a lot of these older stories, and the first Tales of the Dead story does this, it takes a long time laying out the social dimensions and historical dimensions of these stories and grounding it in Mm -hmm. the real world, and then... So, by the time the really crazy supernatural stuff here is, you've been kind of grounded in that environment for a long time.
1: That is kind of interesting because I feel like that might just be a motif of horror in general. I can't think of very many horror stories even now if they involve a supernatural element that doesn't go out of its way to say to make it like this is this is any normal town where a shitty situation has happened in whatever family or whatever. Think uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, right? It's just like normal kids oh. who are fucking around, and for some reason this horrific being is after them in a normal town. And then you find out oh. he was a horrific being in life, too, and then the family decided to burn him to death rather than to seek out legal.
4: <laughs> yeah. A yeah. yeah. little by different about these is, is there tends to be a cleaner break between, the, like, it, the... Modern horror stories tend to, you know, it's like a creeping progression of Dread, uh-huh. whereas these tend to set the stage, set the stage, set the stage, and then everything really, all the pieces land at once. Uh,
0: so- There's also a horror story that, um, a uh, modern horror story that begins as a pretty normal story and then pivots into the horror in a way that was completely unexpected. It actually sets up a completely unrelated plot. Oh, uh, this is your reference. Think- <coughs> <laughs> yep, it's- wait, it's Psycho. Oh. Psycho.
1: Psycho, <laughs> Psycho which, oh, oh, well, see. Right. I, thinking, you know, I
0: was actually going to say like uh his anthology the Bob- series, Hitchcock presents, but I couldn't resist saying Psycho in this context.
1: Oh, i oh, one oh, 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 but Psycho I'm is sorry, more organic. Of course. Of course. Or then I was going to think like maybe The Birds. <laughs>
3: mm. Yeah, The Birds <laughs> no, are, those those are also good. To <laughs> yeah, yeah. <right>. Birds
1: also <laughs> work. Oh, okay, uh, well um
3: get our man, wait
1: uh let me finish the this one thought that i had because i was i was thinking I that, maybe please. then uh we've got this sense of and and um when i when it comes to the european tales i'm thinking like what they were based on le- less than the actual writers because by that time we've mm-hmm. got the enlightenment and you've got a lot of like you know like like uh will said the sense that the supernatural is just as real as what we see in real life you know what i mean like the supernatural is always there. The supernatural is something that can get you if things go wrong. So if you have something grounded in reality at first, the supernatural isn't any less real. You know, it's just that these I mean, that's a,
4: that's these a things feature, happen. Even in in pieces that aren't necessarily horror of kind of the mid nineteenth century on, or I guess even earlier, Pushkin and stuff, where it's it is this kind of constant battle between the sort of romantic, emotional world of the supernatural and the rational sort of modern world, and there's this constant tension, and I mean, uh, a lot of these ghost stories do, I think, they are sort of less these ones because they're a little more traditional, but you go a couple decades later and yeah, I mean, uh, most most of the horror tales do end up being sort of exploring the friction between the modern world and the the more romantic ideas of what what might lie lay, lay beyond that sort of sterile rationalistic world.
2: Well, um bring it back to these samurai stories, at least the second one, anyway, I didn't really see as much of a divide between the old and the new. It was just kind of there, like the um, well, I guess actually, no, no, uh, I take that back. The second one, it was more. It was actually, um, playing with a lot of like conventional horror cliches. I mean, it's the progression of it in the first episode was basically from one cliche to another. I mean, it opens with these horny teenagers going somewhere they're not supposed to be. And then, what was it? And then the guy, it's like a demon bride. And then it turns out that he's in love with a, with a goddess or some crap. And, um, it did, it did strike me as, um, maybe one of the reasons that i was more i liked it the most was because it narratively it fit my preconceived notions of how horror stories work
1: oh, that's a, that could be like i don't know actually to be honest uh it was my least favorite i think because it felt i wouldn't say cliche but i've seen this story hmm. a lot it for some reason the woman you find in the woods Theme is is a big one that's used Mm -hmm. across cultures. The dangerous Mm -hmm. woman that you don't even know is dangerous that you fall for. She falls for you, and something, and this is forbidden, you know. Uh, Yeah. So when I was watching, I was kind of like, yes, yes, yes. Oh, no, no, no. That's that's that seems about right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's
4: always the, I guess, the challenge of, and I think for all its problems, what makes the third story really work is that it commits something very interesting aesthetically is you know we've seen a thousand different variations on all these stories by this point because they are the progenitors of all their stories you know Mm -hmm. so it's it's hard to inject a lot of sort of it's hard to inject something new and Mm -hmm. something kind of engaging into these stories not because they're bad but it's just you know everything and everything we've known over the past, you know, 200 years or whatever, is derived from these stories in a lot of regards. So it's, it's you know, all these mm-hmm. basic elements that have since been um, expanded and, you know, reversed and all of those other... You know, it it takes a certain amount of skill to, to take these really basic stories. And obviously, you know, a lot of them are the first story of the anime is super famous. It's super famous for a reason. It's very um you know the 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 core elements of it just work you know creepy ghost bride terrible death all that stuff tragedy and suicide it's all very dramatic as a story it just works but you know on a on a block by block basis there's hundreds of these now so it's thousands that's always a challenge with going back to these and i mean i think what maybe the only problem with these is that What makes some folk stories really work is that they're so strange to modern conceptions, and particularly the morality of a lot of, you know, folk stories, and folk stories with a horror tinge are very, uh, sometimes even off-putting to modern readers or uh, viewers, but that also makes them kind of exciting, because they're
3: just so... strange this crossover, this crossover there with the sort of like like fairy tale myth- mythos as well <laughs> just the the very specific sort of morality and the extremity that often comes with that yeah i think i mean like i said
4: you know these stories are familiar and so i think you know it's interesting that i think you go back but sort of the weirder components of maybe the even predecessors of these stories start to get into a territory that's kind of um, foreign and unknowable to us again.
1: You know, I want to go back really quick to the idea of all of the stories being about kind of family drama. I I find it fascinating to me, like, just how important it, uh, you know, the family dynasty is back in the day. You know, like, every single story is about, like, inheritance or, as mentioned before, love or uh, betrayal uh, or the destruction of an entire, you know, line. Dynasty. Yeah, Yeah. which is the ultimate revenge to have no one to carry on the family line, to Hmm. see it, uh, you know, crumble to dust. And I don't know, I I find it interesting that anywhere where family lines are important, the horror of losing everything is, like, used as, like, the ultimate, you know, shitty ending, you know? Yeah.
4: <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, we don't really... Today, we don't... You know, the the threat of your family just vanishing from existence is not... Even though, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's possible. You could just, you know, not keep a name going or something like that, but...
1: Well, you don't
2: see the fear. We don't, yeah, we we don't don't. prioritize that legacy. Another thing to, to bring up that the people writing the horror stories are the people who actually care about having family dynasties. (laughs) The, uh, the upper class, (laughs) the aristocrats. Uh, I don't really think the average peasant would care who cares on, carries on their family line. Like, I think a lot of them don't even have surnames, but like, um, it's an overarching. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Like,
0: uh, like, um, when we talk about like, uh, 19th century Irish Gothic fiction, it's almost exclusively Protestant because it's generally people from the upper class of society. People who went to Trinity or people like, uh, Charles Maturin, who had a very good position as an Anglican curate, which he completely blew because his book was controversial. <laughs> and they're often specifically about these extremely upper class fears, especially as Anglo-Irish authors living during the age of an emerging Catholic middle class, they felt a little threatened and isolated in a society where they were
3: nonetheless at the very top mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I would say the the primarily thriving uh, modern social anxiety regarding family connection is more just about like emotional distance and alienation in the modern day i would as, as, a, as Stepping as well, said well i was all I was going to say was i have personally encountered that that today you do still run into people who have that who have that very oddly traditionalist um anxiety of like believing in and in the idea of a family line that must be maintained and kept strong and that they're afraid of it going out it's a really weird thing but i have come i have experienced it well i mean i sort of get
4: it on some level because i mean you it sort of plays with the idea of the more personal idea of non existence. Like, I don't know, like, one day, this is really morbid thought, but one day we'll all be dead. Mm. And, uh, sure.
1: We'll all, one day you we'll, all will be dead. But we'll Sorry, all have graves. Found, and, you know, I have, uh, I found my sparkly vampire, so you guys do, yeah. do the thing. Okay. But,
0: cool. uh, there's, you'll there's, still be dead, though. You'll be a vampire.
2: Well, i <laughs> plan to <be> a cyborg, <laughs> but okay.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'll put my, <laughs> Brain
3: and a robot spider, so it'll be fine. But...
1: Singularity will also happen anyway. But continue, I'm, please. But you know, <laughs> I'm going like, to
3: ascend into another plane of existence. <laughs> <laughs> but if ever... the uh, historical
4: graveyards and stuff, like a lot, in a lot of cases, like no one knows who those people are, and no one ever will. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of crazy, like, you know? I mean, I mean um, yeah, the idea. The idea I mean, of being it's forgotten like,
3: it's not, about
4: overall It's still scary. Yeah, just completely yes. forgotten about by the entire universe. Like, that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. sort of, there's a profundity to that. So, um, I I think that's probably where that comes from and where that can maybe still work for a modern audience.
1: You know, I think that you are right. We've just kind of, we've moved away from this idea that it's your uh, family line that remembers you. That, uh, you know, or your family, li- if to be part of a still living family line means that you are in some way still remembered or still living and we've moved more towards this very individualistic idea of how to be remembered you know it's not so much the family it's frankly i think nowadays we've moved on to this idea that you have to get like other people to know you exist in the world you know um how fame has kind of blossomed into the be all end all in some way to have to have someone retweet your tweet for instance or whatever Mm -hmm.
4: Uh, (laughs) Have a Wikipedia page with a picture.
1: Yes. yes. Okay, so
2: (laughs) the modern horror story is like what? Not having only having like zero (laughs) followers on your yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine like the creepy music like of like say Joe or or Sam like checking his Twitter account (laughs) again and again and again and no one follows him.
0: You know, you say that as a joke, but Black Mirror did that as a serious plot line.
1: Oh. So I think shoot, you're onto they, something like, there. I have got to see more Black Mirror. But Yeah, yeah. that
3: was Yeah, that, I mean that was the Michael Sheridan Rashida Jones episode. Yeah, it, yeah, it was.
1: Then it is kind of, well, to be honest with su- social media in general, and I know I have been sadly subject to this too, it's always kind of a little mm-hmm. bit sad when you make a comment on even Facebook where you're surrounded by supposedly friends and no one likes your comment, you know, yeah. like yeah, no. If, if no one likes your comment, do you, even, are you even real? You know, are the words <laughs> that you say even important?
4: If a and, comment falls in the woods.
1: Exactly. So mm-hmm. in a sense, I am closer to falling to dust because other people refuse to acknowledge me on in the broader world, you know. Yeah,
4: yeah. So it's not quite everyone being taken out by the plague, but it's something. Yeah. It's
1: something. <laughs> and it's not a ghost be you killing your whole line, it's true. <laughs> I also
3: I also think that the redefinition of like of connection and the anxiety over connection inter I think there's an intersection there with like the cultural evolution of the notion of a family and what a family is.
1: Well, I feel like we're also kind of moving away a little bit from that, that particular cult, uh, familial connection fear was really, really big. I think from, say, uh like around the 50s onward until probably I would say I would say in the aughts it started to kind of. Back away as something that occurs maybe just because culture now has shifted to the point where it's okay for your dad to hug you now, you know uh <laughs> mm-hmm. well, you know, I've never had this social angst of having a fam of, of uh a mother or a father who wasn't as close to me as I thought would be best for me, as opposed to say someone in the seventies who would be reading something like a modernist book about how they just ever had that kind of connection mm-hmm. that they feel that a lot, they are a lot
4: of dad problems
1: yeah exactly
4: you know, yep yep um. <laughs> uh, yeah you <I> mean, <laughs> know the other thing is like hierarchy isn't really um i mean obviously it still exists and is quite profound in mm-hmm. some ways but the sort oh, of yeah. rigid hierarchical structures yes. that you find in stories like this don't mostly exist anymore and because a lot of these stories you know even you know i mean the last one i guess of the anime or the the one i was talking about earlier which um I mean that one's earlier uh, the one I read previously is interesting because it is from a peasant perspective but the kind of morality element there is still kind of how society should be organized and well, know, yeah, how, the, the, is... how the hierarchical structure should not you know the lords should be acting in a way that is proportional to what happens and things well, so like what this. was that so, story
2: called
4: oh god i can't remember anymore i think it's somewhat famous it was in a book about it was about an. It was in an academic book about peasant rebellions in Japan. So you might just Google that because I think it is a somewhat. I think there's a bunch of different versions, but uh, it was very interesting.
1: Well, you know the the when you talk about the hierarchical uh, the hierarchy between say even classes or even a family mm-hmm. you know not existing, we are really truly in kind of a brand new era just in the last say. 90 years or so of the breakdown of a lot of the hierarchy after world war 1 in particular and then the familial hierarchy breaking down as uh women's rights really took off and things like that. So and I think that that is again what a lot of media explored between the 50s and the 90s in particular. You're, you know, living in this brave new world where both your class and your place in a family does not matter anymore. You build your own idea of what it is. And now we're kind of starting to eke out of it a little bit where, uh, our, pl- our placement in a family, for instance, really is determined by the people who are in the family. It has nothing to do with society's ideas of what a family member should be, mm-hmm. a wife or a husband or whatever should be. So I am really intrigued about what the next you know, what our next horror stories are going to be. Not, you know, mm-hmm. beyond just, like, uh, the cycle of the zombies and the vampires and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. what uh, what our new psychodramas of the family are going to be, or psychodramas of society are going to be. Yeah.
0: yeah, well, I mean, a lot of it I mean, is I mean, What, what you about, think about, like, uh, about a book? Yeah. The yeah. Australian you do see Marvel. a lot about, yeah, yeah, Charlie about of... this woman in a relationship with her emotionally troubled son. And you know, mm-hmm. that's the entire family unit. Okay. I thought I liked it.
3: Like yeah, 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 there's also a heavy investment just like individualist psychology and well, I think psychology and Individual
4: sexuality are the two kind of mm-hmm. ones that get a ums it follows. You know, um was very much the witch. in that
3: vein. which is a is a very like the which is in some ways very different from those, but I, there's okay, some I intersection as well.
1: I think the witch, I think what was really interesting about the witch is I think that the horror that they were really bringing out aside from the fact that actually it was a lot like what, uh, Will was talking about earlier with the Gothic stories that both poke fun at the Catholics, but also mm-hmm. they were correct in their superstitions. They were right. Mm-hmm. It was the same thing with the witch. You've got like, uh, mm-hmm. us knowing that their societal structure was really fucked up. But at the same time in this movie, they were right. There was definitely well. witchery going on and uh <laughs> you definitely can talk to a goat and have him turn mm-hmm. into Satan and he will definitely help you write your name in the black book, you know. So I
3: mean, yeah, there there is definitely the aspect to it. The, the the witch to me is primarily about patriarchy. It's about patriarchy and why why the witches are, you know, an outlet, a valuable outlet and, are, and or necessary in their presence.
1: The, the, that, is, that is a good point. it's uh, I...
0: also a bit like uh, Days of Wrath. It's also about this kind of controlling father, the, the Danish movie from the 1940s. And he's, you know, paranoid, suspicious that people are witches. And he's also right. Yeah. So it's also their way to organize outside of his uh, society control. It's actually really a common thing yeah. with witch stories to well, kind I of lo- play on that kind of uh, contention. I mean, Uh, by traditional witch stories, I mean, like, 20th century witch stories.
1: I I do love that scene at the end of The Witch where the where Satan is like, do you want to live deliciously with, like, and and the way he lures her in is butter.
3: (laughs) 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 uh, Like like the taste of butter? Well, (laughs) I mean, butter is an absolute, like, complete indulgence at that point, especially. Yeah, well, I mean,
1: she's basically starving because her father chose Mm. to leave Mm -hmm. the settlement. And start right. up something. New. And, uh, so, I mean, not to, it, it is kind of an interesting, it's an interesting tale because on one hand, the patriarchy is correct. They are, there are some <laughs> witches who are fucking up shit. But on the other hand, you're like, well, maybe it's okay for those witches to pound babies to pulp and wipe them all over their bodies. I mean, you know, it's like the one thing you get to yeah, do that's, that's fun.
3: <laughs> Which yeah,
0: the days yeah,
1: around story
3: really? Uh, that's I somewhat mean, close to what my feelings on the Witcher.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think with that movie, it's mostly just um, I, I. I think it's just enjoyable to kind of take period elements on their own terms
1: because
4: mm-hmm. um, that's something a lot of period movies fail to do.
1: You're right because people aren't right.
4: people aren't really comfortable. I mean, we've talked about this previously. Uh, I think on one mm-hmm. episode, but it's. It's hard to make sometimes accurate period characters sympathetic. And so you end up watering them down where they're just uh, pre-naturally, you know, progressive or something. And so it's I think it's fun for a movie like that to take a a chance and sort of engage with period characters on their own terms. uh, And then obviously add this um, supernatural element into it. that adds a little twist. Uh,
1: Well, I think that one thing, again, with period pieces, which in what we watched and read, like bringing it back a little, like <laughs> when what we watched and read, it is just absolutely known that the supernatural elements do exist. They are mm-hmm. there. They are happening, you know? yeah, and they, they in any, for granted, by yeah, large. exactly. In the modern world, even in stuff like the Baba Duke, which um seemed pretty clear that this thing was real, you will always have the argument presented that, oh, It was all in their head and in the story themselves. And in fact, I had a a small discussion with someone online Mm -hmm. about the witch and their their argument. I was there
4: for that discussion. Oh, you were
1: there for the discussion? (laughs) Because their argument was that it was all in the daughter's head. And my position was in the movie universe... This was all real. You know, we can take it all as a metaphor and we can do the same thing in the stories that we watched, you know, in uh, Tales of the Dead and in Ayakashika's like, as was mentioned, Mm -hmm. their morality tales. But Mm -hmm. in the worlds of the stories themselves, the supernatural elements are absolutely real.
2: Nowadays,
1: it's really hard to find Something that is both a morality detail and not not presented either by the person mm-hmm. who creates it as, um, maybe it's real, maybe it's not, or other people outside of the story don't just take it for granted. They say, yeah. well,
4: yeah. And I mean, I think we're seeing a resurgence of explicitly I, I think it's supernatural of... horror. Because for yeah. a while it was all like serial killers and torture and murder, right. and fucking boring. But, uh, I think people are now yeah, starting people... to. Uh, having a little more fun and engage in, you know, more flights of fancy, so to speak. Yeah.
0: Well, but, I, I would have two things yeah. to say. Is firstly, that I think it reflects to a certain extent the theological worldview. Like, uh, Tales of the Dead is from a strongly Christian context. Whether it be Protestant or Catholic, there's a general agreement that, you know, God exists, angels exist, the afterlife exists, and so possibly those stories can exist and be consistent with that theology. And likewise, with the Japanese stories, at least the older authentic ones, that are from an era when Japan was a syncretic but religious society. Like there's the traditional Shintoism, and then, you know, Buddhism would also be imported from China, but then just incorporated with the existing Japanese beliefs. And while there was a diversity of opinion as to which was the correct way to approach these religions, People in Japan all generally agreed on the uh, existence of these gods, these religious forces. While today we live in secular societies where, while most people identify as religious, they can be of many different religious denominations. And, of course, a lot of people, even religious people, downplay the significance of the supernatural. My other point, however, was even when dealing with the supernatural today, we often deal with it in terms of the subconscious. and thinking of the film It Follows. Now, it follows. The it is real for the purpose of the story, but the director said he based it on a dream, and it operates with a dream logic. So there's a direct connection to the subconscious. It's just literalizing the subconscious for the story. I think there's that element as well in modern supernatural. It's always tied to that kind of thing, or often tied to that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, well, returning to the whole naturalness of the supernaturalness in the the older stories, I do remember the specific example in... In the story about the, what was it, the family portraits? When they're like finding out mm-hmm. the the backstory behind the the cursed portrait, it turns out it happened because of of this monk who cursed the founder of the family line, and mm-hmm. no one remarked that. Medieval monks apparently are wizards who can curse people. I was like, <laughs> I was like "What? What the hell? Oh, yeah, he no, has no, magic
3: I, powers." i personally take that for granted. <laughs> what you don't think all all uh, monks are secretly just um, harboring as... all the magic and they don't let us know about it? <laughs> Must be That's doing something in there. Major. As a former
1: well, Catholic, I, mean, like, I, I just thought books, that was a given, sake. guys. Uh...
3: Yeah, I...
0: <laughs> same Amber. Although, although I should also <laughs> point out that uh, Protestants, particularly in the in the field of Gothic fiction felt like they downplayed supernatural elements in terms of reason. So there's always that tension as well. That's why they loved overemphasizing the supernatural elements in Catholic countries. I realize I'm harping on that a lot, but I've read a lot about it, so I just keep coming back to it.
2: Oh, dude,
1: I, yeah, I no wanted worries. Okay, I wanted to step back because Jesse at one point said, I have a movie to mention, and then we all kind of talked over again.
2: Oh, those ones. Oh, um, well,
1: actually, you know,
3: <laughs> you know what, um, we've been doing this for a while, and we're still really bad about talking over each other.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, um... Yeah, just to bring it Probably back to twenty first century horror. Um I actually have two movies that came to me. Uh the first is um oh, what the hell was that movie, the one with the um the kid who befriends like this female vampire, this Scandinavian movie? Um Let
0: the right one Yes, yes, yeah. that
2: one. Because the um the entire thing of the story was this kid's isolation and that's how he became friends with a vampire because he was bullied because his parents were divorced because his mom didn't have time for him, and mm-hmm. that's how be- he became the assistant to basically a serial killer.
3: yeah we get this we get this framing shift from child love story based on mutual alienation to he is vulnerable to her like exploiting him and using him as her puppet.
2: right Sorry. so that's um, <laughs> that's not actually a kind of story that you can get with the 19th century s- setting. Um, right. But the second kind of, uh, sorry, the second movie I was going to mention was actually Pulse, the Japanese horror movie, mm. which is basically about the horror of the internet. Not that, not about internet trolls or anything stupid like that, but, um, basically about how. Excuse you. Yeah, well, how lonely the internet is. And right. how everyone on the internet is alone. And mm-hmm. throughout the movie, they're basically killed by their loneliness which is actually pretty freaking scary
1: that's actually a do you know how many like freaking articles i've read over the last five years of isolation being a killer Mm -hmm. i mean usually in a a, the sense of greater possibility of heart problems and blah 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 but like Mm -hmm. still
3: (laughs) yeah no that's that's definitely a big thing that i've seen a lot of and that does tie this all in to yes stuff we talked about earlier with we talked about black mirror and we talked about about a prevailing anxiety of alienation in modern day society. All, yeah. you know, ties in together with the, the role of the internet in human interaction.
2: There's yeah. also that movie about unfriending people. What the hell was that? <laughs>
3: oh, unfriended. Unfriended is, okay. is not about unfriending people. Unfriended is about teens bullying each other and it coming back to haunt them.
1: Wait, 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 wait. That's There's
0: I, two okay, I definitely watched and- a horror movie about Facebook. And Facebook or Twitter or something turned people into zombies. And it was Why? called something like Unfriended.
1: Oh my god. It was a real movie. I
0: did not see that. It was kind <laughs> that's of dumb. Amazing. And, yeah, Unfriended so is the like one social where... Social media turns whole... people into zombies, and then they started attacking. Like, oh I mean, god. literally, like George Romero type zombies.
2: Yeah, that's actually true of a yeah. lot of like poor movies about the internet. It's mm. basically about how off, how bad the internet is, but it doesn't really take. Most of the time, it's reactionary. It doesn't actually take the perspective of the people using the internet. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and, it, and it's basically treating the internet as a like non-magical entity that it was treated like in a lot of 90s media when it was first right, coming like on a, the scene.
2: That Sandra Bullock movie what was it? The
1: oh, the net. Oh my God! So yeah. classic. You've the got hackers The internet is magic. <laughs> uh.
3: You know, un- unfriended is actually smarter and better than it would than you would think. The one that's like a Skype call with a ghost haunting them. It's not. I would call it good, but it's way better than it looks.
2: Well, actually, you know what? I just remembered something. I think Tom was mentioning it before about how horror movies start as normal and become horrific. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, they're almost aggressively normal. That um, it's uh, oh, happy yeah. friends, happy family. And that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I have two exceptions I can name. The first is Dog Soldiers, which is about British soldiers (laughs) on military exercises who are attacked by werewolves, who are under siege by werewolves, which was pretty friggin' cool.
0: And (laughs) I was actually going to see it because it's Neil Marshall's best-reviewed film. Oh, oh, really? Of course, people, people know Neil Marshall now for like Dog Game of Soldiers. Thrones and stuff.
1: Thanks, guys.
3: <laughs> You're welcome, Amber.
2: Well, the second horror movie, which um, really counts as horror or more as science fiction, is Attack the Blah. Because, oh yeah, like, yeah. Like, how often oh, does a Attack horror Black. movie start with like hoodlums and like drug dealers and stuff? It's always mm-hmm. like suburban families or whatever. But yeah. this one, the perspective um, of the underclass.
0: Yeah, but is, is that really starting as abnormal, or is like, its does it just start with yeah. like hoodlums, or does it start with hoodlums meeting aliens? Which does it begin with?
2: Um, it, it it does start with the hoodlums. Actually, it, I think I think it starts with hoodlums mugging someone.
0: Yeah. So, well, I, I mean, I guess okay. That's so it's, the it's point. different because they're they're like a, not a typical horror protagonists. Yes, but it still exactly. follows the rule of. beginning in the real world, beginning normally, and adding the supernatural element later in the film.
3: But It is enough of, it is very much a different status quo. Yeah, it's a different status quo,
0: but it's different in a different way than Dog Soldiers was different,
3: is what I'm saying. mm -hmm. That makes sense. On on that note, as we talked about earlier, yeah, you have The Witch, where The Witch starts with the character's banishment, and within the first ten minutes, the baby has been abducted and ground into bloody paste. Is a buried. <laughs> it oh, ties I, actually, right you know into what? the I, fucked up
2: mess. I just thought of a third <laughs> example. It's a Nick Cage movie, but, uh, don't hold that against it. It's, um, uh, what the hell was that? Where he I was a crusader? Too. Season oh, of the witch. Oh, oh, witch. Season
1: of the Witch, yes, yeah. of the witch. Right, right? Right, right. Because,
2: well, first off, it, um, the prologue is about, um, a witch being executed, but the majority of the, uh, the opening action is Nicolas Cage and, um, I forget the guy's name, but anyway, him and his friend Ron Perlman. Yeah, there you go. Or is Are,
3: it? Or is it the guy in Misfits? Either yeah, way. yeah.
2: Um, they're basically right. like, like these um, crusaders massacring heretics, which is um, totally not the typical horror story opening. And then oh, they yeah. find out they stumble across actual witches. So that's kind of a thing. Like throughout the first half of the movie, they're pretty sure they're just killing normal people, just heretics. And then the second half of the movie, they find, like, actual evil to fight against.
0: That that reminds me, I think, of one of the old-time classic films. Not in the sense of being a classic film, because it's not. But classic in the sense that it randomly adds a supernatural element in the middle. And it didn't necessarily need it, but it completely changes the kind of movie it is, which is from Dusk Till Dawn. Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) Which is a movie, it begins, it's a straight gangster movie. It's guys, you know, robbing stores, blowing up stores, you know, holding people at gunpoint. They're rushing to get to the border to Mexico to avoid the federales. And then they cross the border to Mexico, they hit up a bar, and the bar is actually a home for vampires who kill people. So it
3: suddenly becomes a vampire movie. (laughs) Mm -hmm, I mean, I don't... I don't like From Dusk Till Dawn anymore, but I would argue that the vampire half is way more fun than the first
1: half. <laughs> uh, I think everybody well, I, would argue that. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah but I think
1: yeah, it's it just really bizarre because it's,
0: it's a movie that completely <laughs> pivots. Like, the thing with a lot of the horror movies, because firstly, you know, the horror is advertised. But secondly, and let's be honest here, most of the time, the stuff before the horror is kind of boring. Mm.
1: Yes, you don't really want to yes. see a whole
0: movie of the happy suburban family Having no problems. Mm. But this, gangsters, heist. You could have had a whole movie like that. Yeah.
1: You know? uh, I, well, when I, I had the massive amount of luck to not have seen From Dusk Till Dawn until I was in college or even really mm. know the premise of it. So when I was watching with a friend of mine who was stunned and disgusted in the fact that I had yet to watch it, she was, I could tell she was watching me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> she was doing the thing. So I'm like watching what I think is a pretty typical Tarantino-esque flick, you know, with the uh with the family and the murders and the heists and yada yada, and then vampires. And I remember saying multiple times, "What the fuck?" <laughs> you know, like you know, movies need to pivot just into the wild. Like it's one thing. To have, it's one thing. I mean, maybe not so much that it becomes cliche, but it's one thing to have like a like a Shyamalan-esque twist, you know. It's another thing to have your entire premise just flipped mm. on its head, you know, wherein we were we were trying to, you know, solve – we were gangsters getting monies and going across the border. Oh, no, vampires. You know, like, yeah, no, it's just rare. It's rare to come yeah, – to have is. filmmakers be brave enough to just go – we were doing a whole movie about this family who was meeting up at Thanksgiving and there's some tension between the moms and the do- the mom and the daughters and actually fairies. So mm-hmm. you know,
3: Yeah, um yeah, substantial kind of tonal and content shifts like that are really interesting and I'm a big proponent of them. On that note, I was recently watching a movie. It was awful. Like, I don't recommend it. It was called Nightmare Man. It's it's real bad, but <laughs> There's this very there's this very interesting thing where so lay in the movie we have the plot twist that the um that the person who's trying to kill the the female lead was hired by her husband. And that's played up. And never mind that. How about the fact that we find out that she's actually possessed by a demon? (laughs) (laughs) Like that just it comes out of nowhere that she actually has a demon inside her, and the demon kills the husband, and the, la- the last, like, 20 minutes are really fun. It's awesome. Wait, wait, wait. Was
2: <laughs> there a, a soap opera in the 90s? Was it, um... Damn, I can't remember which one it was. What's was that? it...
1: Are you talking Passions? Because Passions... Uh, which,
2: whichever one, that suddenly oh, had God. demon possession in it.
1: Oh, it was definitely Passions. Oh, Yeah, okay. that, <laughs> yeah. that show
2: was fucking insane.
1: It wasn't. So. Okay.
0: <laughs> I think someone's obligated to mention Baywatch Nights.
3: <laughs> what?
0: <So> Baywatch <laughs> went, ran for like ten years or something. Then they spun it off into a two-season joke called Baywatch Nights. And in the second season of that show, it became like the X Files supernatural elements.
1: What? I did not know that. Oh my god! Yeah.
0: Oh Amber, you it. Like, well, the reason know about people that, don't know that amazing. is because nobody watched it and it was canceled. But it was like a complete bizarre <laughs> sudden pivot into the supernatural from a franchise yeah. which was mostly known for people running around wearing swimsuits at the pool. Oh or at my the god. water or whatever. So it was so supposed crazy. to be the
2: same world? Like by
0: day. Oh yeah, same continuity. Yep. Like David yeah, Hasselhoff was in it and he was David playing Apple. his uh, Baywatch character. Oh
1: my god, that's But now he was
0: real. investigating like werewolves and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> beachcraft. Well, so just slightly older TV is very... People
4: take TV a little more seriously now, but they did some weird spin off shit back in the day. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean Family Matters is obviously a classic example. You know, you create a spin-off TV series that's meant to be a realistic depiction of an African-American working-class family and then you add Steve Urkel and the rest is, you know, history. What
1: were yeah. you not a fan yeah. of Stefan Urkel because Look, yeah, to be I was, honest, uh,
0: I never saw the show and I only knew of it growing up because it was referenced on The Simpsons.
1: Oh, really?
0: I had no idea what exactly. Homo was talking about. I I'm was, not even sure if it even aired here. Yep.
1: I was young enough to have been pretty uh, big on TGIF. Yeah, so I, I watched watch, so much of that. Oh <laughs> my god, I watched such shit back then, but I loved everything. Okay, guys. Of it.
3: I think we have officially hit the threshold of okay. Our episode is yeah. long enough, and yeah, you are
1: probably <laughs> right. We're we're bringing it. Like... We
3: stuff to talk about.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So when you
3: reach
0: final... Urkel, we're uh, ready to wrap up. <laughs> we're reach
1: peak final... Urkel. <laughs> peak Urkel. <laughs> when Urkel is mentioned, <laughs> it is known that a podcast must end.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, I Let's... was going to say so. Uh, final gonna... thoughts on Tales of the Dead and uh, Ayakashi.
2: I would say I like Tales of the Dead more than Ayakashi because, like, basically I was lukewarm towards two out of three of them, whereas Mm -hmm. I only kind of liked the one I actually liked. Whereas um, Tales of the Dead, even though a bunch of the stories in there didn't actually have any anything much of a plot, it was just basically (laughs) listing stuff that happened. I I thought it was actually more interesting, just even just Mm -hmm. historically, just to see what. People were scared about Bagzan.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I think. Tel- Tell of the dead benefits from the general anthology a- uh, aspect of like the more stories you have. Yes, there will be a wide range of quality, so you know have have things that you know ac- they're accessible to people. I found I found it pretty interesting, <laughs> and like the fam- the family portraits one especially is actually I found I was like emotionally invested and affected by the end of it. So yeah.
1: So I, I actually enjoyed both of them fairly equally for the presentation of stories i actually never knew you know uh i do admit to liking uh what i read of tales of the dead more than ayakashi i think more just because there was more time to really lay out your premise in uh the written word while ayakashi i feel uh oh shoot i forgot to mention i i felt like First of all, the stories were kind of squished, you know? I felt like they needed more time to really flourish with some of them. But also, I felt like it was weirdly presented. Like, did anybody else get kind of thrown off with the opening? Like, that opening was oh, really... Hip-hop. yeah The hip-hop opening for these old <laughs> Japanese tales, uh, one of which was a Kabuki theater opening, and they had a mention that you could get the the album on sony records <laughs> like it's kind of what well,
0: the sony records thing is extremely common i mean if you watch a lot of anime they almost always have uh, a reference like that right after the opening credits i think it's sometimes edited in western releases but it's like oh, every single know. show from that period
1: i absolutely did not know that probably because i haven't yeah. seen but still.
0: Trust like, me. I mean, I, I have it like burned into my brain like this.
1: Something, <laughs> something, something. There's so many
0: records. It's just like, I wake up to it.
1: So um, while I did enjoy Ayakashi, and I would really, especially just because the uh, variants in uh, animation style and the stories themselves are pretty neat, I would recommend Tales of the Dead more. Uh, just mm-hmm. bec- especially if you're into 1700s, 1800s lit. You no? Know? So if you're if you're reading like a bunch of Austin right now, go read some Tales of the Dead. You know, mm-hmm.
3: I don't really have any Thank strong you, feelings that either, but you know they're cool. Yeah, yeah much it. You, you're making me want to, to go back to reading Jane Austen, and I can't afford that time-wise right
0: now. <laughs> uh, we, we might find an excuse for Austin at some point in this thing. You know, I, I, I feel if... someone has to mention North and Abbey, right?
1: Oh, I, oh, of course! I cannot believe yeah. nobody has mentioned that book.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> There, we said it, we can put it on the record, we said it, so no one can accuse us of not saying it. Okay, oh, so uh, my feelings about the two works is, well, I've, I had always really found Ayakashi quite interesting. I was the one who suggested that we cover it, mostly for the reasons that have already been covered. It's got a certain variety of style and tone and different kind of executions of the stories. I've always particularly liked the third one the best, because I was also spun off into a series, as I mentioned. I really like the visual style and this kind of anime-style story. But I had not heard at all of Tales of the Dead before we did this. It was completely new to me. And I thought it was interesting, partially in kind of trying to situate it in terms of the development of Gothic fiction, which is something of some interest to me, but also the stories themselves, which, while they presented very straight, they had an element of unintentional humor, like a character offhandedly observing, oh yes, that story is definitely about my dead sister, You know, there was kind of all these building tragic sagas can often have an element of humor to them, is my point there. But even in spite of that, I thought Tales of the Dead was an interesting and very brief read. And now brief Mm is admittedly convenient in this day and age (laughs) with all the content one can get. And you can get the whole thing for free off Gutenberg. So, you know, you can't do worse. I would recommend both of them.
2: Um, actually, you know, I forgot to mention about Tales from the Dead. I think like two out of the five stories, maybe three, they start off, this is a real thing that happened to a friend of a friend of mine. It's, uh, <laughs> like I, I was like, they actually said that, like, what the hell? But I guess it wasn't a cliche back when it was written. Well, I mean,
3: yeah, that's, that's, that's part of like the oral tradition, is it not? That, I mean, extending all the way to, you know, the, yeah, the campfire stories and how they're like in, in those terms. I
0: mean, Sorry, they I claim should... to be German stories but I haven't seen anything to indicate that there really are German stories that this French collection was based on. Right. Who's the friend of the friends? the friend of the friend of the person who wrote the alleged German original? I don't know.
1: That's a good question. Mm. Oh, damn you. Now I need to know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You might as well. I mean, we might as well include it if we can get the information whether an original German exists. I I, I didn't find any evidence of it.
1: I actually didn't either when I was looking around. Like, so weird. (laughs)
2: Okay, so next time on Podcast on the Sky, we are covering the movie Princess Mononoke, and we are comparing it to the Michael Mann movie, Last of the Mohicans. Not the novel, the movie. Definitely the movie. The modern versus the traditional, the indigenous versus the colonizers, that's what we're coming up against. And Both in
3: the 90s. Yes. Sorry.
1: And
2: until next time, I am Jesse. I'm Amber. I'm Lily. And I'm and I'm William. Right.
1: All right. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Good luck.
2: Have <laughs> a good day. Right. On. right. See as